I shall leave you as you left me. As you left me. What? Marooned for all eternity in the center of a dead planet. Buried alive. Buried alive. Come! Come! Uh. Fired because that's not the clip that's supposed to play. What's going on here? What, what's going on? This is the clip. John Luke, shorty specs, mysteries on the holodeck, asteroids, triple droids, telepathic betazoids, transporter, deadly claw, visitor from LA law, photons, no Kirk, captain has gone berserk, shuttlecraft, console Troy, Dr. Crush's little boy, Klingon rights, parasites, new heights, phaser fights, Data's head, Tasha's dead, Quike is hanging by a thread, celebration, transformations, everyone to battle stations. You know, this is a live show, and when you do a live show, things like this happen. Are <laughs> you right? <laughs> Weird, weird, and weird. So uh, not only did the intro not play, but it was the wrong intro. That was our intro before we had the new intro. God, I don't know. Let's just hope the rest of the show goes better. Um, Anyways, (laughs) welcome to Trek Talking. It is Thursday, February 29th, 2024, and uh, this is episode 582. Hard to believe. I'm your most excellent host, Uncle Jim, and I would like to introduce to you my incredible Trexpert, and we're going to talk out with Charles. Charles is out in Las Vegas. How are you doing tonight, Charles? I'm doing good. As we had our crosstalk, it's like the weather's crazy as usual. Yep, it's calm here. And nice 60s, but it'll be dropping to 50s over the weekend with a lot of wind. And that'll be yeah. heading Jim's way as we go. Yeah, it's been pretty windy here in Vermont, but we can deal with it. And we're gonna we're gonna flip all the way over to Portland. And unfortunately, I don't have my trifecta with us. We only have a double play, a five-four-three double. And we'll start off with our very own Eric. How you doing tonight, Eric? You know, I'm doing pretty good, guys. Uh, I was extremely satisfied with this timeline up until now, but now I kind of feel like I need a temporal incursion to go back and replay that intro. I don't know. Uh, Isn't that weird? I don't know. <laughs> They're giving Anorax a call. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> oh, boy. And we also have with us our very, excuse me, our very own Paul the Toy Guy. How you doing tonight, Paul? Hello, Uncle Jim. I'm doing well. How are you? I, <laughs> no one listens when I do, so I don't bother. <laughs> <laughs> doing okay, man. It's been a long, crazy week. I'm so glad it's almost over, and uh, it should be fun. It is. It's 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 Friday's Eve. If you smell, if you if you take a deep, deep breath, yep, yep, that's it. You can catch a whiff of Friday. It's like right around the corner from you. It's closer than you think, actually. Oh, God, I hope that's true. 
It is. It's, it's going to, I promise you, I promise you that it's, it's on its way. It will be here sooner than you think. And then we'll be celebrating Saturday and Sunday and Monday. And we have Tuesday off here up in Vermont because it's town meeting day. So we need to go out and vote. Town meeting day. Oh, yeah. It, cool. It, it's a, go out and vote. Do you have vote, to go vote, and vote. Uh, do a barn raising after that or anything like that? Or is there like well, butter to be churned? Or what, what? The cows first, and then we, we go on. Okay. Off and do that. Yeah, it sounds <laughs> very, very, uh, very quaint. I, I love it. Town meeting day. Town meeting. I hear Elmer's going down to the convenience store and looking to buy some more uh, coat hangers. Now, do, 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 do other places have town meetings, or is this just some rustic Vermont thing? Like, did they do it in Oregon? Uh, I don't or, think they – well, we leave it in a big city, so I don't know. I mean, it's possible that small towns do, but uh, I don't know, man. I, not that I have to, but who knows? Do they have town meetings in, in Las Vegas? No town meetings. We do celebrate the state birthday, but no town meeting. Wow. Okay. Yeah, Las Vegas wow. has like town orgies. I mean, let's let's yeah, true. That's no town meeting. <laughs> Come on, what are you talking about? Oh, boy. oh my. Town meeting day is Tuesday, so the state shuts down, and we get to go to the town meeting and complain. Every about month, or is this every week? Is you get it every no, week? It's one one day a year, right? Oh, one, one day, day a year. year. Yeah, so if it's every week, that's the greatest scam ever, man. I know, I mean, we got to start getting town meetings here, if that's true. No, well, you know, uh, I remember Boston's got, like, Patriot's Day, which is the weirdest holiday, too. So that, I think it's just a Northeast thing. You have weird holidays up there. And do because Boston Day. has a lot of drinking holidays, that's why. Well, that is also true. Yes, yes. <laughs> so, anyways, guys, we're going to be talking about a Voyager episode, um, The Year of Hell. Our phone number here is 646-668-2433. If you would like to call and share your opinions on the Voyager episode of Your Help, please give us a call and we'll get you on the line. But before we go too far, um, we need to start off the show with some sad news um, because we lost Kenneth Mitchell. Um, I believe it was Tuesday. I think it was on Tuesday. Um, yeah. For those of you who don't know, Kenneth Mitchell had ALS. And they actually wrote a special character for him in Discovery Season 4. He played Aurelio, and they actually wrote the character in a wheelchair so that he could play the role. Um, It's a a, a tragic story. Uh, It's it's terrible. And um, we're going to remember him right now. I have uh, the obituary here um, that I want to read to you guys. We are deeply saddened to report the passing of Kenneth Mitchell, who played the Klingons Cole, Coleshaw, and Tenevik, as well as Aurelio on Star Trek Discovery. In addition, he voiced several voice characters in an episode of Star Trek Lower Decks. Mitchell passed away at age 49 on February 24, 2024. Born November 25, 1974, in Toronto, Ontario, Canada, Mitchell appeared in multiple films and television shows, including roles such as the father of the superhero Carol Danvers in Captain Marvel, Olympic Hopeful and Miracle. Other roles include turns on Jericho, the Astronaut's Wife's Club, Ghost Whisperer, and Slip at Birth. As Cole, Mitchell hopes to bring a new perspective on Klingon culture to fans through his turn on Discovery. 
whether someone is good or bad, is all about perspective, and it's about understanding that culture. You'll get a, get to know the Klingons on our show, and then people can decide if we really are the villains, Mitchell said. Mitchell is survived by his wife, Susan May Pratt, and their two children. He requested that any guests be directed toward am, amophobic lateral sclerosis, ALS research, in support of his children, Lila and Caleb. And I wanted to play a little something for Kenneth Mitchell. Okay, now we're going. This is the Klingon Warriors Anthem. I played the General Martok on Deep Space Nine. And this is how they go. And I, I was I was uh, shocked when I heard the news, and I was I, I mean I knew that he wasn't doing well, but I didn't think it was it was going to be that that quick. And I think that Kenneth Mitchell will be missed. I think he was a hero, and I think the example that he set for everybody um, is he's a true hero in every sense of the word. So Ken Mitchell will definitely be missed. Um, mm-hmm. Anybody want to say anything? Well, I was just going to say, I thought it was great uh, that I read the other day that they did a special thing for him on the Star Trek cruise also to honor him, which I thought was was kind of a cool thing. There's actually a video online that you can watch that that shows some stuff from that. But, man, that guy came in and made a big impact in Star Trek in a relatively short amount of time. And I think it was his portrayal. It was his ability to actually act through – what I think some actors found to be really tough to act through that Klingon makeup uh, from discovery and somehow he managed to, to do it. So, uh, and he, and honestly, when he's Cole, like he kind of scares the crap out of you when he comes on screen, which I think is what a Klingon is supposed to do. So that tells me uh, this man had some talent and it's too bad that we lost him so early, but uh, Lou Gehrig's disease is, is no joke, man. Um, and we still don't have a cure for it. So, Give, if you can, to uh, organizations that uh, are doing research to try and figure out how to beat this thing. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that he uh, he was a great Klingon. I, I thought he played Tenetic great when he gives uh, Captain Pike the time crystal. Um, and I think it was great that they wrote Aurelio for him. And we actually got a character on Star Trek in a wheelchair. I know a lot of fans were like, they don't have wheelchairs on Star Trek, but you know, I think it was great that they did that for him, and um, my condolences go out to his family. So, all right. So, uh, I thought that we definitely should start off the show by remembering Kenneth Mitchell. Um, you guys can head over to our Facebook page, and at the top of our Facebook page, you will see a pinned little thing saying, hey, where are you guys listening from? And all you got to do is drop us a line, leave me lots of emojis, because I read a lot of stuff, and the emojis will get my attention and you'll have a better chance of being chosen as a for a fan shout out. 
So, um, Eric, you want to start us off with our fan shout-outs for this week? Yeah, I sure do. Our very first fan shout-out this week goes out to top fan David L. Brown, who's saying hello to us from Glasgow, Scotland. And uh, top fan status means that uh, David interacts with us a ton on our Facebook page. And we really appreciate that. We appreciate the feedback. We appreciate the likes. Jim appreciates the emojis, et cetera. So uh, live long and prosper to you, David L. Brown. And thanks for carrying our flag over there in Glasgow. We appreciate it. Also saying hello this week to Glenn Hastings, who's saying hello to us from the Philippines. Glenn says, I try to introduce my Filipino friends to all Trek, but their resistance is not futile. Oh, Glenn, keep working on them. Keep working on them. You just got to find that special moment that special episode, and you'll hook them. You just got to keep at it. (laughs) Thanks so much for saying hello to us uh, way over there in the Philippines. We appreciate that. Also saying hello this week to Andrea Recupero, who's saying hello to us from Patagonia in Argentina, way down south from here. Andrea, that looks like a really cool area down there. Argentina uh, makes some of my favorite wines on the planet, and I'm sure they're even better when you're there sipping on them, taking in the views from those beautiful mountains. Uh, Thank you so much for saying hello to us, and uh, we really appreciate your support all the way down there in South America. Thank you so much. And last on my list, we're saying hello this week to Anka Biernat. We're saying hello to us from Lorley, Germany. Uh, Lots of supporters for the podcast over there in Deutschland. And Anka, we appreciate your support as well. Charles, passing out that shout-out megaphone over to you, sir. Oh, thank you, Eric. <coughs> That's sort of <coughs> sorry. Welcome to Christopher Lee from Denver, Colorado. How's the weather over there up there in Denver? Not too snowy, I hope. Welcome to Bill Koa from Knoxville, Tennessee. Top fan, Dennis Wade from Ohio. Welcome, Dennis. And welcome from the uh, home state of James T. Kirk, Iowa. Welcome, Dave Henry. Dave's not here. Welcome, Anna Marie Bergren from northern Michigan. Welcome, Kelly L. Gulliquixen Madison, up in the far north, upper Midwest state of North Dakota. We are less than 100 miles south of the U.S. Canadian border, close to Manitoba, heading up towards Chris's territory. Ah, top fan, welcome, top fan Ralph Hubbard from West Virginia. And, well, and a final welcome to Lenny Joyner from. Ackworth, Georgia. And with all that, Paul, who's on your list? Thanks, Charles. Appreciate it. Well, let's just bop on out of the United States for a little while, and let's head on over to Orleans, France, and our good friend Phil Superon. Now, Phil is not just our good friend. Phil is a top fan and is lucky enough to live in Orléans, of course. That's a a city on the banks of the Loire River in north-central France and uh, very, very famous, as a lot of folks would know, from the uh, 15th century uh, where Joan of Arc famously saved the city from a siege by the English, a very heroic bit of uh, 
historical heroism there. So a wonderful place to live with great history all around. So it's great to hear from you, Phil, and uh, all the best, my friend, and thanks for being a, a fan of Star Trek and of this show. Uh, changing continents, we're going to go to Johannesburg, South Africa, and say hello to our friend Arula Jans van Rensburg, who is also uh, a massive Star Trek fan. So we'll see, we're seeing fans all across the globe. Um, we're just spinning the compass needle wildly, leaping from one continent to the other, and we're going to say hello to our friend Mariska van Nijendal from the Netherlands, uh, Den Helder in the Netherlands, flag flying proudly and then uh, take your frequent flyer miles because you got about an 18 hour flight but we're going to go down to australia and we're going to visit queensland there where the flag is unfurled by our friend sharon guillard there queensland is pretty amazing state it's more on the northeastern coastal area of australia um very very famous for being uh very very close to the world's largest coral reef system, the Great Barrier Reef. Pretty amazing. Uh, some of the best surfing and uh, scuba diving on the planet. Uh, might want to bring a shark cage, though. <laughs> there's, some, <laughs> there's some big pork or great whites swimming around there. You want to be careful of those boys. Uh, but uh, pretty amazing. All kinds of wildlife in Queensland. It's uh, an amazing part of the planet. It is amazing to see that all of that diverse territory in the Netherlands, South Africa, France, Australia, the Star Trek fans everywhere on the planet. And uh, we have far more in common than we do apart, which I just love. So let's see who Jim's got on his list here today. All right. We'd like to say thank you to top fan Barbara Montesero, who's listening to us in New York, U.S. of A., and those tribbles, they get into everything, don't they? They worse than gremlins. I don't know what's the problem there. <laughs> uh, I want to say thank you to Martha Jones, who's listening to us in Tennessee, USA. That's pretty cool. We want to say thank you to Anthony Kevin Johnson, who's listening to us in Florida, Park, Illinois. And last, but definitely not least, we're going to go all the way back to Melbourne, Australia. Paul just came from there. And we're going to say thank you to top fan Garth Davey. And that wraps up our fan shout-outs. If you guys would like to be featured uh, featured in a future fan shout-out, head over to our Facebook page and just drop us a line. We would love to hear from you. All right, guys, now it's time to get right down to it. Uh, we had posted on our Facebook page and asked you guys to score the Voyager, the two-part Voyager episode. Year of Hell, which was episode eight and nine of season four, and we collected your scores. And Eric, what did our Facebook fans have about Hell? Well, Michael Scott Martin said this is some of the best Voyager, but it would have been even better if they had carried the storyline out six or eight episodes. As is, I give it an eight and a half. Now, pay attention to this refrain, people. Top fan, Derek J. Molichek, said 10. Should have been bigger, though. Big screen feature at least. Woo! Top fan, Trent Webb, said 10, exclamation point. If they had made it a longer arc, say six episodes, I'd give it an 11. Great storytelling. Ronald Gibson said, I'll give it a 10. Oh, wait. Change in the timeline. That 10 rating never actually happened. So I'll give it a 7.7. <laughs> okay. Carmen Delete. 
that was pretty clever. <laughs> Carmen Delito, I can't imagine a better episode. Someone can, but not me. So 9.9, .9, also a great comment. <laughs> Ted Maloney gave it a 10. Great concept, well-executed, and terrific character study. The actor playing the villain was ex an excellent choice. He pulled it off. Coach got pulled into thinking it could work, and Paris kept struggling to yank him back. So, in classic Star Trek fashion, makes one reflect on how we tinker with nature, thinking we can fix it with just one more technological change instead of working with it. Thanks, Ted. Jeff Akers gave it a 9.5. Half a point taken off for calling the uber baddie Anorax. My guess is that's another Star Trek reference. Jonathan Searchy gave it a 8. Could have used a few more episodes to show the year. Ah, heard that before. Tom Fan, Ashley Williams said 10, one of my favorites of Voyager in the top five if you treat all the two-parters as a single episode. And top fan Robin McCann said 10. I think Voyager, Voyager did a hell of a job taking down the man who wanted to remake the entire universe. That, my friends, gives us a fan score for Year of Hell of 9.6. Pretty impressive. Yeah. And you know what that music means. It's once again time to put on your thinking caps and join us for Star Trek Trivia Time with Uncle Jim. All right, guys, you ready? I'm going to lob oh, yeah. some softballs at you. We'll see if you guys can hit them. Pretty mm -hmm. sure you can. <laughs> Eric, uh, we don't have – all right, we'll start off with Eric. You ready for, our, for the first question? Yeah, Just sure, man. I'm ready. I know this episode well, so we'll see. Okay, Voyager makes an improvement to the ship by adding what? Oh, um, uh, this is the episode where they add the astrometrics lab, which becomes one of Seven's kind of favorite joints to hang out for the rest of the series. Yes, absolutely. Uh, Charles, you ready for one? Yep. All right. Anorax, the Kremlin commander, keeps a clear pyramid-shaped protective case in his office. What does the case contain? Oh. Well, for most of the episode, it contained a lock of hair from his wife. But I think by the end of the episode, it contained a lot of air. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and glass. Well said, Charles. Well said. I, I, think I think you're on to something there. I think, uh, yeah, it was just full of hot air. <laughs> <laughs> think of that, but you're absolutely right. Hot Can, air. That's is, like bonus points. Charles answered the question, and then he answered the question a second time. That was that was good. That's the bonus <laughs> question. <laughs> All right, Paul, you ready? Hit me. All right. While Kim and Taurus are trapped in a turbo lift, they challenge each other to some trivia. Kim gives Taurus some clues and asks her the name of the movie and the male lead. What were the correct answers? Well, Uncle Jim, you're talking about... Uh, oh. <laughs> Something's wrong with your sound system. Wow. You really are hung up on your sound clips, dude. I'll tell you what. It's like a rhythm killer. Uh, you're talking about the great uh, Alfred Hitchcock picture, To Catch a Thief, mm. okay, with the inimitable Cary Grant and, of course, Grace Kelly. Mm -hmm. yeah, and that's right, George and Gracie, the humpback whales, right? 
That was a different movie. Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, different. Yeah, no, no, not even. Sorry, everybody. Uh, that would be a big no. <laughs> All right, but they, David, but there is a, but there's a funny kind of mix-up between Cary Grant and Clark Gable that they kind of go back and forth a lot, a bit about, which is kind of funny in the episode. Yeah, yeah. Good so, stuff. Uh, David, ready for a question? Nope, he's not. Dave's here. not here. <laughs> Dave, all right. Well, I'll throw it out, and we'll see who can who can answer. Well, this will be a free for all. It's a big bonus question. Are you ready? When Tim and Taurus are trapped in the turbo lift, who rescues them? So that, uh. so we've, got, we've got to give our fans, our fans at home an opportunity to come up with the question before we give them the answer. Who's got the answer? Uh, that would be seven of oh, nine. Wasn't that seven, Fun, eight, nine? Yeah. Fun will now. Seven, eight. Yep. yep, seven of nine. That's right. Mm-hmm. Okay, Eric, you ready? Oh, sure. Yep, this one's for you. Tom Paris sets up transverse bulkheads using force fields. While explaining how they should work to Captain Janeway, what ship does he reference? Yeah, that's actually pretty funny because uh, Janeway says something like, wait, didn't that ship sink? Uh, Tom Paris was, of course, talking about the Titanic. That's right. He was talking about the Titanic, which I thought was a great reference, actually. Charles, you ready to take a spin? Yep. All right. During an attempt to repair the ventilation system, Captain Janeway and Ensign Kim breathe in toxic gases. What does Janeway tell the doctor to inject her with to help her breathe? Oh, my. (laughs) What do you think? Uh, She needs some trioxin and a cup of coffee. Yep, black coffee. Black coffee. (laughs) All right. Paul. You ready? You got your thinking cap on? I do, I think. All right. <laughs> Voyager, with heavy damage, runs into a micro-meteor shower. With the engines offline, someone must go to deflector control to get the deflectors working. Who goes? It's not Captain Kirk on I'm Tuesday. Just, I'm just waiting for that really, really long echo of the snare drum. Music, right? <laughs> Seems to frickin' go on forever. The it's reverb like, of the room. It's nice. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy to happy to to answer without it. Um, that would be the person who, in this two-parter, uh, spends as much time as humanly possible uh, with their uniform jacket off, so you can see their rippling biceps beneath that wife wife beater that she's wearing because it's like she's been to the gym and she's all sweaty and like you know hardcore for like pretty much this entire two-parter that would be captain janeway that's right captain janeway it is and david isn't here so uh i guess we'll throw this one out there um in the following quote tuvok says what is the missing word blank is hardly a life-threatening activity masturbation well, what do you think, Eric? 
Oh, I, I think Paul's got this one. I think. Yeah, I think, I think so, right? Come on. That's what it was. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, he is, he, it is kind of a funny scene because he's sitting there looking at himself in the mirror while he's blind because he's shaving. With a straight edge razor, which he says is not a life threatening. Well, you know, like, I mean, if you're, if you like, you're, if you're Vulcan, you're all in, man. You're shaving with the, you probably would shave with a Lirpa if they let you, right? That's true. That's, that's very true. That's very true. And I have the bonus question, which which is open to anybody. And this this is this is a tough one. So you're gonna have to really think long and hard to answer this one. How does Captain Janeway destroy the Kremen ship? Tough question. Nope. Well, she throws. Tell me, you have a soundbite. Tell me you have a worse soundbite for this. <laughs> Tribble, tribble, Well, she doesn't, she doesn't say prepare for ramming speed, but basically she says prepare for ramming speed, and that's exactly what she does because she's a freaking badass in this whole episode. And she just – she runs right into it. Yep, yep. That's exactly right. All right, guys, so I hope you enjoyed our Star Trek uh, trivia. I, I had some fun putting it together. And uh, now it's time for Cadet Training with Sharp. Okay, Charles, the microphone is yours. All right. Well, only a couple of them came into mind with this one, because I'm thinking about time. And a couple of good time episodes from Next Generation. We got season two, episode 13, when they had time squared. And then again in TNG, another good time one, especially how what you do can affect things is cause and effect. And then I'm getting a third one. I don't remember... Parallels. Was that also TNG? Yeah, that's Next Generation, yeah. yeah. Okay, Parallels also from Season 7, season seven Episode 11. I know there's yep, a there's, couple there's of them been. out there, but thanks. That's a good one. That's another one that worked in well. Yeah. Yeah, that was a, that was a good one. All right, guys. Are we ready to talk about the year of hell? Woo-hoo. Who wants to who wants to start us off? Who wants to take the engine, take the bull by the horns, and drive this bad boy home? Who wants to get started? <laughs> I, I think I'd like to nominate Eric because Eric has had to break yeah. Anchorman a bunch in the last couple of months. So I think that you should take point, buddy. Sweet man, thanks. Uh, well, yeah. So this year of hell was my suggestion for us to review. Um, it is. I think it's safe to say widely considered to be one of the best episodes of Voyager. And I think that our fans actually um, pointed out a lot of reasons that that's true. Um, There's some great character moments here. There's like Voyager blowing up. Um, The episode has humor. It has uh, new races. It has time travel. It has themes of regret. Um, I personally think Anorax is like, one of the coolest villains that we see in Voyager because he doesn't um, 
he's not a mustache twirling villain, you know. He's kind of got this. Uh, I don't know if it's goodness, but he's get, he kind of has this like good intention within him, and he's not necessarily a rude guy. Even when you compare him to the other Krennen throughout the episode, he's he's always sort of polite. And yes, he's trying to get people to do his um, his bidding in some respects. Bidding. But I I appreciate him as a character, and I think Kurtwood Smith just absolutely knocked it out of the park with his performance. Um, it's very complex. You see in his facial expressions um, the complexities of thought that Anorax is going through. Um, but he also is kind of like a megalomaniac, right? He he. He says, I hold, there's some point in the episode, I think it's the second episode where he says something like, uh, I hold the fate of billions of people in my hand. And um, so what's, you know, what does it even matter if I, if I eliminate one world from that equation? Like, what, is, what does that matter in the grand scheme of things? And to me, that's like, you can't get more core Star Trek than, than that, right? That's the whole, like, the needs of the many, do the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few um, or the one type of arguments, which I think are some of the best Star Trek arguments that we talk about. Um, because, you know, we get we get our Star Trek two iteration of that, but I think Star Trek over the years has really complexified is that a word made more complex that idea in particular star trek discovery i think has permutated that idea uh, quite a few times um in a really successful way so i love anorax uh as a villain um without going through like all the details of the episode we go through something like four different timelines you know we start in our original one and then there's three incursions that uh the krenum warship does and so that's kind of fun because you you get the universe changing, but Voyager not changing. If its shields are up, but then it does change if its shields are down. So there's some fun kind of like pseudo sciencey stuff going on there. And like I already said before, uh, to, this is one of my favorite Janeway episodes. Um, there are so many times that Janeway is just a badass in this episode. Uh, you know, it's like. Um, Chakotay, there's that uh, time that's like day 65 or something where Chakotay, it's her birthday, May 20th, her birthday. Chakotay gives her a gift, um, and he's got this great story about the watch that he gives her and how meaningful it is. And immediately she's like, I can't afford to have this. We need to recycle this for resources. Like, she's just always thinking about the next thing, nothing, nothing about herself, right? She's always thinking about her crew and kind of how to keep the ship alive um and in the end we 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 get kind of the i mean there's like six or seven different times she's a badass throughout the episode but then in the end we kind of knew she was going to be the one to sacrifice herself to get things back to normal and she does um so i think that shows consistency of her character throughout and what is this this is only season three right so we haven't completely flushed out her character um, oh no, it's season four. Sorry, season four. Season, season, season four. four. So, so you know, we're four sevenths of the way through the series. So, I guess we've gotten we, we kind of know who she is at this point. But there are also some great moments between other character pairs. I think you know, um, Tom Paris and Chakotay getting sort of stolen away by the Krenum, and uh, they have some great moments together that we could probably dive into if we wanted to. I think Harry Kim uh, and the captain have some cool moments uh, as they're trying to kind of keep the ship together and fix things up 
it's this idea of constant peril bringing the best out of people and Janeway all along being the absolute strongest leader that she could possibly be sometimes making decisions that, you know, she makes one bad decision that she kind of regrets later, which I think is cool. Um, like showing that she can make mistakes. Um, but, but overall there's just so many things for me to like about this episode. So, um, I don't want to take too, too much away from other people. Um, so I guess I'll, I guess I'll leave it there. Um, <laughs> something inevitably is going to come up it's just what like i'll give this one a 9.5 honestly when it comes to to the only thing that i will say I'll, I'll give it it's not like all kittens and rainbows the one thing i'll say is that because the episode sort of ends like so many star trek episodes do where everything's kind of the same at the end it has that feeling of oh it was all just a dream um you know and that can be kind of annoying, especially when it takes place over seven seasons on a, another television show that I won't name right now. But uh, but on this particular episode, it didn't bother me for some reason because we kind of all want them to get – we kind of all know they're going to get back to there eventually. Even when it first came out, you know that like Year of Hell is not going to be the last episode of the season because it's a 26-episode season. So you know there's more to come. So at the end, you know that the Voyager is going to be okay, but I don't think it matters. Um, I think you still go through the journey with all the different characters and, and there's value to, to so many, um, so many of the interactions we get to see. Okay. I'll be quiet. Pass this on to somebody else. <laughs> well, you're the Voyager guys. And so you, you take, take your time and, and, and well, say what you want. I mean, the, the, the stage is yours, brother. <laughs> Can well, I ask ahead. you about uh, what you said about the ending? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I don't think that my take on the ending was that none of that stuff ever happened. Um, I think it, it seemed to me that it finally, like, an all, they'd found a, a, a way of setting things correctly that, that restored things. But I don't think it was like they never happened. It's just like they were able to kind of circuitously get back to a, an iteration of reality where things could be accepted again. I mean, it's, it's, it's confusing, but I don't think it in, in, I don't think they undid all of the stuff that they had gone through. Well, here's my, I guess it was more like they found a way to like cut back to it or something. I I, I guess that's true. The only thing is that I will say that in the episode, there's a, there's precedent for it having been a never happened scenario because it's the um, remember when uh, he first brings uh, Tom and, Harry on board the Krem ship and they're treated to that big banquet. And he tells them that all of the delicacies in front of them are literally the last remnants of all of these civilizations that thanks to his time, timey wimeyness never existed. So it's a little bit of one of these relativity things, right? The, the Krem ship is outside of time and space. So relative to them, things happen and then get undone relative to the planet who's getting shot and erased from time, it never happened. So very interesting. Know, I, very interesting. I, I do. So here's, here's, uh, first of all, um, my question would be when they messed around with time, was it like, like the Borg coming to earth? I mean, it was it just where they are or was it, was it like uh, the guardian of forever? Everything time. Um, the, well, the episode actually answers this too, Jim. That's a great question. And the 
what they talk about in the episode is they talk about the effects of the time changes that the Krenim ship makes have a distance component to them. So in other words, the Voyager becomes an anomaly in their time calculations because the Voyager is 70,000 light years from where they're supposed to be, not because the Voyager exists. And so my take is that, you know, Anorex destroys a planet it kind of really affects the local space. And then as that time wave kind of goes out, the effects of it are dissipated. And so by the time it gets out in the universe, you know, you and I aren't going to notice any differences to the timeline, even if we had that ability to look at it outside a relative perspective, so to speak, um, because there's a time component to it. He says that in the episode. And then and when, when Janeway crashes Voyager into the ship, why, what causes it to reset to that particular time? Wouldn't it erase all the changes that that ship had done and not just up to that point? Um, I mean, yes. It just well, I don't. That, well, that, okay. <laughs> you know, I mean, destroyed the ship and it takes us right to the beginning of the episode. Well, we're getting a little bit into the nitty-gritty of, like, how much do you have to explain time travel for it to be cool in Star Trek. But what I'll say is that if I'm to defend it kind of, like, one more time, I'd say that um, his – so when he – remember, at the very beginning of the episode, we learn that Anorax and his ship have already been at this for 200 years. And so – may be that when they get destroyed, it may be that all 200 years worth of incursions get undone, but the episode only chooses to show us what happens to the Voyager crew at the end, right? After hmm. the Krenim ship gets destroyed, we don't go back and check in on the Krenim Empire again. We just notice that the Voyager's A-OK and ready to go. Well, we so I think all that stuff probably, I think all the stuff they did over the past 200 years probably does get undone, to tell you the truth. Interesting. Well, I mean, we do Interesting. know that, that the uh, uh, was it the Kremlin the, the ship that they run into is still there. Yeah, it's just that they're yeah. yeah so the first ship that they run into in the episode, and then also the last ship that they run into is not the not Anorax's ship, but is another Krenum ship, and that's another cool component uh, that I think happens throughout the episode is as each one of these time incursions happen you see the design of the Krenum ships change. Like it goes from the basic one at the beginning and then he has an incursion and he gets to the, whatever the 98% restoration, but without the restoration of the Kiana prime um, colony. Uh, and the Krenum ship suddenly kind of morphs into this awesome warship, right? <laughs> then it morphs down one more time. And then it morphs down the last time at the end to what they originally saw. But the people are much nicer at the end than they were at the beginning. They're like, hey, at the beginning, they're like, hey, you're in our space. We're going to kill you. And at the end, they're like, hey, you're in our space. We suggest you go around. And instead of Janeway being like, screw you, I'm going anyway. She's like, okay, we'll go around. <laughs> yeah, you go around it. Yep. So, I mean, a little bit of, like, inconsistency in terms of her reaction to to that, you know, scenario but i think that's a little bit one of the downfalls of star trek voyager i've like i love the show i love janeway there's so much i love about the show and also they write her character a little inconsistently and make her decisions a little erratic sometimes so the fact that in the same episode 
she's presented essentially with the same idea, but in one case, somebody's rude about it, and she tells them to go screw themselves, and in one part, they're nice, and she's like, no, that's cool. That just is a little weird to me, <laughs> but <laughs> that's getting into the extreme nitty-gritty of it, I think. Yeah, absolutely so. Who wants to go next? Eric? Well, I don't Eric have a ton of, ton of stuff to say, but just a couple of things that's interesting because it's like I think this comes up when you hear the uh, the uh, some of the comments that, from the fans that Eric read, right? There's people wanting more, 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 right, of, of this whole thing, right? Well, I, I I don't know how widely known this is. I think it's fairly common knowledge, but but the original concept with this episode was this was going to be the entire season. Right, there's just going to be serialized storytelling, right? And it was going to be like 20 episodes long, and that was originally the whole game plan. When they were said, "Well, no," and they kicked it around, Braga and everybody, and they're like, "Well, no, we're going to we're going to do two. We're going to do it as a two-parter because they wanted to." There were episodes they had planned where you wouldn't even see Janeway mm-hmm. for for a part of the time, right? So, I mean, they they had some really ambitious plans for this, and and whatnot, but they ultimately just decided to do, you know, two-parter, but it's a two-parter, I think, that, you know, like you said, is universally considered to be, you know, some of Voyager at its best, for sure. So it, it holds up really well, and uh, and uh, I think one of the reasons, though, it is so spot-on and so great is because everybody's under duress, right, and there's a lot of high stakes involved. Um, it's a story about uh, people trying to exert their will uh, against their ability to have uh, acceptance of things, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that's what makes it so compelling. I mean, Anorax is like, I don't know if you've watched the uh, animated uh, Batman uh, that was done, you know, what, 20 years ago or whatever it would be now, if not longer, but <clears throat> Batman, the animated the series. 90s. The Bruce, yeah. yeah, like the yeah. Bruce, the Bruce, the Bruce Tim, uh, the Bruce Tim Batman, right? Um, with uh, but uh, with Kevin Conroy and whatnot. Mark Hamill is a Joker, but it's he's very uh, similar yeah. to Mister Freeze on that episode, right? Where his wife is preserved like in glass, right? And she became ill, but he can't let her go. You know, he yeah. can't he can't do it. He can't he can't you know uh, accept what's happened. He's constantly trying to figure out a way to undo the bad thing that he's kind of responsible for, right? But he can't really accept it and he can't really move on. He's sort of caught in an emotional version of the time loop that he's creating for the outside world. And it's, it's, so it's very poignant, I think. And I think because of the way that character is written and the fact that there are some, you know, really big themes going on here about uh, ability to like move on and the way we relate to death and the way we, relate to the idea of, I think, very often having resistance to, to, you know, determined fate or whatnot. I think it's some really strong writing in, in these two episodes, and we get to see characters going through things that we don't normally see them go through. Uh, I think there's some really good uh, character work from everybody, you know, from uh, Jerry Ryan to Tim Rust, uh, Garrett Wong, I mean, across the board, right? And, and great turns from Janeway. Right. But I think what really, for me, the glue that holds together, I'm a big Kurtwood Smith fan right? Yeah. ever since RoboCop. Right. That guy is just, you know, if 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 he's on, he's on. He just cannot look away. I mean, he is just sensational. And he uh, he doesn't make Anorax just a straight villain. Right. right. I mean, he's he's terrifying. He's a really scary guy. And he is a megalomaniac and he's really hung up on his power. But he's also a man who's desperately heartbroken. 
Yep. Right. And he is the hero of his story from his perspective. And the fact that he made him a really uh, multidimensional character and not just a stock villain, I think, is one of the reasons that this episode uh, resonates so, so, so well um, for folks. And then what holds up over time, because they really came up with a, uh, a classic uh, interpretation uh, of that kind of dynamic. And it has a really sweet kind of bittersweet ending to it, which uh, which is really nice. It's like there's some healing and some acceptance and some redemption in that final scene, right? And I think that that's uh, I think that sent people away from the episode with with a good feeling as well. It's like they went through hell, but they went through all this uh, agita and, and grief, but 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 there's there's some acceptance there at the end and, and, and things are kind of set right. And I think that's really lovely and poignant. So for me, uh, one, I think for sure, uh, a great example, I think of, of Voyager and Star Trek at its best. Um, I would, I would unreservably, uh, I, I would say, I'm an, I would say for Voyager, I would give it a 10 because it's very ambitious and, uh, and it's got strong writing and they got a, a great, guest character and they didn't just lock him into you know i'm a bad guy you know uh, tropes right um they they humanized him and made him fully realized so for all those reasons i think it needs to be uh, paid attention to and uh and emulated for for future storytelling and this is the way this is the way you should be doing your writing right is uh yeah. is really uh with care and uh, it's an epic freaking story i mean it's big it's epic there's a ton of action but it's really human at the heart in the middle. And I think that that's a rare thing. And when the, that's what I think a good storytelling should be remembering to aspire to. So very excited for this. Um, like, I love that it was suggested. Uh, so yeah, I'm happy to give this a 10. All right. A 10 it is. How about you? What do you think, Charles? Uh, okay. Some of the effects, some of the causes and effects, one of them I think very poignant is when he mentions the fact that <clears throat> they got rid of a one society and suddenly found out that much of the civilization started dying off because they realized, oh, I killed off society that created the immunity against a specific virus yeah. that prevented them, prevented them from dying off in the first place. So butterfly it's like, effect. yeah, butterfly effect. You sit there and kill off this one group, and guess what? You just killed off that which helped your own society survive. Yeah, and actually, Charles, if I could just mention, I love that scene that um, shows that even deeper when Chakotay and Anorax are uh, hanging out. It's in the second episode after Chakotay's kind of like on board with Anorax, and he kind of feels like maybe there's something here that could get the Voyager home. Um, you know, he, he runs a simulation of destroying a right. comet or a asteroid or something. And he's like, oh, just destroy the asteroid. And so he erases it from existence. And uh, the simulation results are that, well, that comet's been around for 4 billion years, and it actually dropped the components of life on 8,000 different civilizations that now don't exist thanks to you destroying that comet. So that that's just such a cool, like, butterfly effect 
right. thing. And, and when you get into so much of Star Trek, they kind of, for the sake of the story, will often ignore those sorts of things. And I love that they had that level, level of sophistication back in the, you know, 2000, early 2000s with, with this episode. Uh, actually not 2000. This was 97. Oh, is this 97? Okay. Yeah, there this you go. This is 97. 20th fact, century. Talk about the character development. This was only episode eight with uh, Scorpion being Scorpio 2 being the beginning of Scorpio. So this was still an early development of Seven of Nine. Mm-hmm. You definitely had interesting change there because you had a lot of what still a lot of development from Seven of Nine being created there. And then look at all the developments they created in there. The specialized shielding that prevented them from being affected by time. And the uh, <clears throat> torpedoes that got fired off. The chromat- um, chromaton torpedoes. And which reminds me of a another episode we've seen of dealing with unique torpedoes. When Cornwell was caught with Delco and having to sacrifice herself to save the ship, in which here Tuvok sort of attempts to do the same thing. Seven of Nine tries to get the calculations of the time the time differential in there, and this is what causes Tuvok to get to cause his blindness. Something that kind of hit me with the episode is I, w- I agree with some of the fans. I wish they'd gone a little uh, more than just two episodes. There are points like, oh, this changed. and I didn't realize this had changed. And all of a sudden it's like, okay, we're dealing with Tuvok and now he's blind. It's like, okay, wait a minute, what? Oh, he was blind from that incident. It took me a while to catch up to that. So I would have loved to have seen a little more stretched out so we could have gotten a little more explanations in there. But I'll go with a solid nine on this one. Wow, I guess I guess that that leaves me as the outlier once again, but I love Star Trek V, so we all have our own opinions, right? And my opinion is completely uh, varied from my three truck spurts. But, hey, that's that's what happens, right? We all have our opinions. I I was completely bored to death watching episode one. Um, I was I barely got through it. I was like, oh, my God, it, it, this is just wow. And I wasn't I was wasn't impressed with with part one at all. But I was glad that I. I continue to watch it because what you guys mentioned about uh, Anorax in, in part two, that man can chew up the scenery like there's no tomorrow. And I thought that Red Foreman just just pulled it right through because as soon as we got on the ship with Chakotay and uh, Tom Paris, that's when the episode really, really flourished and, and 
took off for me because watching the conflict between Tom Paris and Chakotay, and uh, Chakotay was kind of drinking the Kool-Aid. He, he, was, he was becoming one of them, and Tom Paris is like, no, no, dude, this is wrong. And he, he had the real Chakotay back. And at one point, I actually thought Chakotay was going to, you know, join hands with Anorax and, and do this deed. But and uh, Paris pulled him back, and I also liked the way the crew on the ship were not blindly following Anorax. Um, I can't remember the guy's name. The first officer that was playing that game oh, with Tom. Yeah. You know, Tom Paris kind of, kind of worked him over. And then you realize that the crew, you know, was starting to think that this is not right. We shouldn't be doing this. And I thought that was because a lot of times you, you see these, these episodes or these movies and you got the bad guy. And then you got his little his little cult just blindly following the guy. And how many times you say, wait a minute, don't these people realize that what's going on here is wrong? And in this episode, they, yes, it was 200 years later. But, yes, they did realize that what was going on was wrong. And they Well, tried but, to- Jim, I, I, I don't think the crew wanted to stop him doing it because they thought it was wrong. I think they wanted him to stop doing it because they were tired of doing it. Like they they basically say in the episode that they were just tired of constantly trying over and over again and following this person whose intentions seem to be out so outside of logic. So I don't know that I want to be careful because I don't know that they necessarily were against the idea of altering civilizations. They just were tired of following this crazy man who had this want, right? Because they altered, 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 and he kept doing it because he couldn't get his wife back. He got to 98% and he threw it away because he didn't have his yep. wife back. So yeah, it's I like Boiler, like having to get from 98 to a hundred, you know, hit me again. Yeah. I think, that, <laughs> I mean, I, I thought that was, and, and I think that making him not be, you know, the mustache twirling bad guy was a great move. You know, because you could see where he was coming from. You could see his motivations and what he was trying to accomplish. And he, you know, I thought that was great myself. And then when Janeway assembles her little band of of rebels to attack the Death Star at the end, and Red Five goes in right right in the trench. Um, yeah, I I enjoyed I enjoyed part two much better than part one. I have to admit. Um, I was getting a little bit bored with the Voyager blowing up and this blowing up and that blowing up. And, and, and I, I, I'm glad they didn't do it for more than two episodes. I'm glad that they, that they did it for only two myself. Uh, I think I, I would have been bored to death if I had to keep watching the Voyager get destroyed, get blown up, da, 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 over and over and over again. I think I would have been real bored at that point. For me, it was enough. So, yeah, I thought that Red Foreman, um, the guy from RoboCop, for me, he saved this episode. I did enjoy the 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 altercation, though, between the doctor and Janeway when she got the um, radiation poisoning and he relieved her of duty. And she was like, stick it up your shaft. What are you going to do about it? And uh, the doctor kind of told her he's he has the final word. and She did it anyways. I kind of like that exchange. I've always, I've always liked the holographic doctor. I just thought that was a one of the best characters they 
put on that show. And I really enjoyed him interacting with Janeway in that one scene. Um, so, yeah, unfortunately, I, I cannot, in good conscience, um, go with the fans or with you guys and give it a 10. I just, I can't. I can't even give it a 9. Um, uh, yeah. I might. Uh, so, I don't know. I think one of our fans, I think, went with an 8.5. I think that's right about what I would say about an 8.5 for me. I just, um, I just couldn't get into the timey wimey stuff. I'm sorry, guys. I just don't agree. So I'm going to go with an 8.5 for me. So that's my take and I'm sticking with it. So what's, what's that overall score give us Charles as compared to our fans? Well, with that score, our fans give it 9.6. The truck spurs went down to a 9.25. Oh, okay. So we're so still, still respectable. We're still, yeah, still respectable. Still right there. Absolutely. Glad I gave it a 10. Yeah, good thing yeah. you gave it a 10. So, yeah, that's that's a year of hell. So, like, if they had made this a full season, you guys already gave it a 10. What would what would they have what would you have seen them do with it that would have made it better than what they did? Oh gosh. Just, I mean no, Jim no, the whole... we haven't seen those scripts or those stories, but they could have really gone down in different directions. I mean, because they're changing history in every basically every interaction, right? Every iteration. So I mean there could be it's like treated as like a volume of short stories and alternate realities. A what if. Yeah, I mean, it's a great way of doing storytelling. I mean, all we can do is guess because we haven't seen it. But the idea was to take it and expand it, right? I mean, you know, it's it's. it's I mean, I think you could take consider. any one of these character arcs that we've mentioned that, uh, you know, that sort of got dipped into over the two-parter, and you could absolutely expand each one of those arcs into an episode. I mean, look at look at what we get. We get 10-episode seasons now which are serialized. So we get one story from beginning to end. And in that 10 episode arc, we get, you know, an entire episode dedicated to a single character to develop that, that character, you know, now we're, we're four years into Voyager. So we kind of already know the basic characters, but like Charles was saying, seven and nine is fairly new at this point. There's a nice interaction between her and the doctor in this episode where she talks about how she's confused about, you know, why or not not the doctor sorry tuvok where she's like uh i'm confused about why i would support the captain when i know she's wrong and tuvok's like the captain's always right and i you know that is a concept that i think could have been flushed out even more so i don't know i don't know that it needed 26 episodes which i think at that time was the standard season and you know maybe that's too much 20 26 hours is is pretty long for a movie but, you know, we've seen 10-hour movies now that are pretty successful. So could you have done a, a half dozen episodes on this arc? Absolutely, I think. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Cool. There you have it. There you have, there you it. have it. All right, guys. So that's our discussion. And, uh, yeah, so we're going to move on. You know what time it is now? Time for Star Trek birthdays. That was not a Klingon song. 
All right, guys, we always do our Star Trek birthdays, and we start off with, sadly enough, remembering those members of our Star Trek family who are no longer with us. And for that, we turn to Eric. And Jim, this week we have five members of our Star Trek community we're going to be remembering. Born February 23rd, 1932, was Majel Barrett Roddenberry. The First Lady of Star Trek played uh, a reoccurring actress in the Star Trek franchise. Of course, was the wife of Gene Roddenberry from 1969 until his death in 1991. And this association with Roddenberry and his most famous creation earned her that title, First Lady of Star Trek. She's the only performer to have had a role on the first six Star Trek series, usually not uh, as a character, but as the voice of the computers on those various series. She also supplied the voice of the Enterprise computer in five of the Star Trek films, which is pretty cool, including that Kelvin timeline. Her most frequent portrayal in Star Trek besides the computer was that, of course, as Nurse Chapel in the original series and on the animated series and in two of the films. She also voiced Emress and several other characters on the animated series. Later, she, of course, was known as the Betazoid Ambassador Loxana Troy on The Next Generation and Deep Space Nine. Her first filmed appearance was actually that uh, performance in The Cage that we didn't see until later, but that, of course, was shot in 1964, where she played number one before number one even had a name. Also in 1962, Barrett met actress Lucille Ball in an acting class and was signed to a contract with Desilu Studios. Soon thereafter, she appeared with Lucy in an episode of The Lucy Show. Um, I think that uh, if you talk to just about anybody about Major Barrett Roddenberry, you'd say that she's so many of the reasons that Star Trek exists these days. And uh, I personally really, really love her portrayal of Luoxana Troy, uh, absolutely one of my favorite characters from The Next Generation. She's just delightful, in particular her interactions with uh, with Patrick Stewart as Joan Picard just cracks me up every time I see her. So. Um, uh, one thing that I just found out about her that I didn't know, which I feel like is, is kind of fun at this point, uh, I didn't realize that in the Menagerie, which of course was that sort of cut up version of the cage that we actually saw before we saw the cage, <laughs> she was actually credited as M. Lee Hudek. So there you go. Not Major Roddenberry, not Major Barrett, but M. Lee Hudek. Uh, in the menagerie. So happy birthday and lots of love and memories and remembrances and stuff going out to Majel Barrett Roddenberry. Also having a birthday this week on the 26th, actress Shay Duffin. Shay Duffin, the British actor and playwright who played Ned Quint on the Next Generation 7th season episode Sub Rosa. Duff, Duffin regularly portrayed barkeep types, including the pub keeper in the 1997 blockbuster Titanic and the bartender in the acclaimed 2006 crime film, The Departed. He was perhaps best known for his role as Dan O'Grady in the 1993 horror film Leprechaun. Duffin was also known for his one-man plays, including The Importance of Being Irish in the early 1990s, which he also wrote, and Confessions of an Irish Rebel in 2006. He has myriad film credits to his name. You should go check out Shay Duffin's IMDb. We lost him Back in 2010 at the age of 79 years old. Happy birthday, Shay. Happy birthday as well to Reese Vaughn. Reese Vaughn was the actor who played Lieutenant Latimer in the original series first season episode, The Galileo 7. 
Uh, Reese also had several guest television appearances on shows such as the Alfred Hitchcock Show, Wagon Train, Virginian, all those westerns from back in the day. He had a little bit of feature film work, uh, including 1965's The Playground uh, and a couple other ones along the way, uh, one of which featured Joanne Linville, who if you know that name, then you know her as the Romulan commander. Reese Vaughn crossing over with Romulan commanders along the way. We also lost him back in 2010. Happy birthday. Happy birthday as well to Bert Remsen. Bert Remsen portrayed the Bajoran Kubos Oak in DS9's second season episode, The Collaborator, a fantastic episode. Started his career in the 1959 film Pork Chop Hill, which have, if you haven't seen that, you should probably see that one too. And in just a ton of other really cool movies along the way. In 1964, though, Bert actually suffered a broken back as a result of an onset accident and unable to act any further became a casting director. Then he returned to acting in the seventies, which uh, to me is just amazing. This man broke his back, pivoted and then repivoted later on in his career. Um, he crossed over with all sorts of interesting people like Rene Abergenois and uh, Sally Kellerman in other movies and things along the way. He was on that 1987 famous season of Dallas, Back in the day, you know which one I'm talking about. Uh, so Bert Remsen would have had a birthday just a few days ago, February 25th, born in 1925. We lost him in 1999. Happy birthday, Bert. And last but not least on our list this week, we're saying happy birthday to actor Lawrence Montaigne. Lawrence Montaigne was the actor who played Decius in the TOS first season episode, Balance of Ter Terror. He also played that Vulcan Stan in the second season episode, Amok Time. According to the making of Star Trek, uh, in the event if uh, Leonard Nimoy had left the series in the second season, Montaigne was on that list of possible replacements, uh, so we could have had him as Mr. Spock. Also, according to uh, Inside Star Trek The Real Story, Montaigne was the only actor actually considered by the producers uh, for that. So. There you go. He's born in Brooklyn, New York. Uh, he also, believe it or not, went back and played that role again in the fan film Star Trek of Gods and Men, which if you haven't seen that, that's a 2000 film movie, which I believe also had Walter Koenig in it. Uh, it's pretty good. I would definitely check it out. He was also a former uh, United States Marine uh, back in the day. So Lawrence Montaigne, pretty accomplished actor and uh, did a lot of other stuff. Happy birthday back in 2017 and we miss you and that does it for our remembrances this week guys so i'm going to pass that flaming birthday candle on to charles oh thank you eric let's start off with a happy birthday to charles parks played a bland in star trek d space nine second episode the collaborator yeah Happy birthday, Jocelyn O'Brien, actress who played Mitian Haro in Star Trek's Next Generation's third season episode, Allegiance. Happy birthday to Chase Matchison, actress who played Lita in numerous episodes of Dark Star Trek Deep Space Nine during the final five seasons. Also appeared in last season. Uh, episode of Lower Decks and is part of the coalition with the uh, coalition's name on the tip of my tongue. 
That's the but it's be kind with the anti-bullying. Be kind. Anti-bullying one. So she's very active in that. I think I've seen some pictures of her with uh, the crews promoting that. So happy birthday, Chase. Happy birthday, Joe W. Davis, former actor who played the 25-year-old Spock in Star Trek III, The Search for Spock. Happy birthday, Karen Robinson, actress who played the trail leader, Pav, in Star Trek Discovery's third season episode, Forget Me Not, and all, all that hope is you, part two. Happy birthday to Harvey Jason, who played the role of Felix Leach in Star Trek Next Generation first season episode, The Big Goodbye. Paul, who's on your birthday list? Thanks, Charles. Well, we got all kinds of good folks on here. Um, I think we got a, a real exciting one uh... To begin with, uh, I hope folks uh, know who this is, but uh, we're going to say a huge, crazy, uh, uh, you have to pick your beer up off the bar and chug it. Uh, happy birthday for Tawny Newsom. <laughs> okay. We're talking about Beckett Mariner, right, on Lower Decks. Uh, she's made that character so much fun. Um, actress, comedian, musician. Um, she's been Mariner in uh, not only uh, Lower Decks, but on that outstanding uh, crossover episode on Strange New Worlds, Those Old Scientists, right, where she got to play a live-action uh, iteration of the character, which is just wonderful. And from what I understand, she's got a very... Uh, she's bringing those comedic chops uh, to bear to work on the new uh, upcoming Starfleet Academy series as well. And she's going to be one of the staff writers on that show. So she is a, a triple threat. Uh, definitely a lot of talent going on there and a really fun uh, person who loves to, you know, kind of uh, mix it up with the fans and just you know, seems to... Really Paul, enjoy Star Trek. Paul, she's also got a fan. I just want to interject that she's also got a fantastic podcast, which if you're into this thing, this type of thing, I would absolutely recommend. She does a podcast called Yo, Is This Racist? where she talks about racial issues and stuff, but with like a comedic kind of twist to it. And it is a fantastic podcast just to get her kind of like no holds barred, no filter take on those sorts of topics. Definitely recommend it. Excellent. She's got kind of a key and peel sense of humor. I yes. Think, is is yes. a lot of how I associate her and very similar kind of bent, right? Um, she's very, very just naturally funny and just super high energy. You just know that hanging out with her would be a blast. So uh, happy birthday, Tawny Newsom. I'm sure you're up to all manner of no good on your birthday, and we wouldn't have it any other way. So looking forward to a lot more of you. Please, people with the ability to make decisions do another live action crossover on Stranger Worlds. Uh, that was amazing. I thought that was such a great episode. Happy birthday also to actress Jamila Jamil, a British actress and television personality, as well as an a very staunch activist who we know for playing the role of Asensia uh, on Star Trek Rodigy, or perhaps I should say by her alter ego, the Vindicator, <laughs> on that show, um, the Federation-hating uh, Vaunakat uh, character. Um, 
second only to the diviner, but a very cool character. Very, very fun. Um, she's great and, uh, got a definite grudge against the UFP. So, uh, I don't know if we'll be seeing more of Asensia or not. One cannot tell these things with the new seasons of Unseen Prodigy uh, so close to coming, but we just may. We just may. So happy birthday goes out to Jamila Jamil. Happy birthday also to Australian-born and Canadian actor uh, John Piper Ferguson, who we acknowledge from his next-gen days when he played Eli Hollander on the sixth season episode of Fistful of Datas, that lovely Western spoof, which was just great. Happy birthday, John Piper Ferguson. Happy birthday also to old school uh, original series actress Alice Rawlings, who played Jamie Finney in the uh, original series first season episode Court Martial. I want to kill you, Captain James T. Kirk, because of what you did to my dad. Hey, it's not so bad. I've gotten over it. I wonder why. So true. Jamie, what's wrong? You seem to have changed. Are you okay? I'm okay. I just have big feelings because I'm a teenager. That's nothing unusual. Everything is fine. Don't worry. My dad's not alive. So, yeah, it, it was great. I mean, it's just a, a, a interesting role. But, uh, but she played it great. I thought she was really, really terrific. So very, very cool. Happy birthday also to Makambe Simbamba, Zambian-Canadian actress who played the adult Ukiya in the Strange New World's first season episode, The Elysium Kingdom. So happy birthday, Makambe. And uh, will we see you on more Strange New Worlds? We cannot yet say. There is still so much of it that we have not seen that is uh, just down the road. Uh, we were talking about when will Strange New Worlds come and earlier on the, the show. And uh, from my guess on that whole thing is uh, Discovery is mapped out to conclude its last season at the uh, very tail end of, well, not so much. Not Let's get an exact date here. Um, it's mapped itself, yeah, very end of May, okay? And my guess is around like, oh, I don't know, episode 8, episode 9, episode 10, somewhere in early May, uh, Paramount Plus will start releasing promos for the new season of Strange New Worlds because it'll probably slide right on in there after uh, Discovery wraps. My guess is early to mid-June, so we'll see if I'm right. But I would say that is when uh, it's it's a pretty good time of the year to have some awesome, epic, strange new world. So I think that's when we'll see it. But they like to keep this stuff under wraps until a little closer to uh, unveiling time. So we'll see. And speaking of, of uh, strange new world, I'd like to have a big special birthday to a very talented person who's found great success extremely young in life is Celia Rose Gooding, who we, of course, know has uh, brought such fresh life to the character of Niota Uvura on Strange New Worlds. What a character actor. What a wonderful performer. Um, she has done uh, Shakespeare in the acting program at Barrage uh, before she really took off uh, and then uh, came, to came to flame. I can't even speak. Came to fame uh, winning uh, her role uh, for Jagged Little Pill. On, uh, where she got such tremendous acclaim uh, for her work on that. An incredible uh, singer. Really, really amazing. Uh, uh, just She's just got so much talent. Um, just really, really great. Um, uh, really unusually cool. Uh, 
show uh, on Broadway at Jagged Little Pill. I don't know if anyone's seen it or not. But yeah, she's I've seen just, it. She's just great yeah. in that as uh, as the Frankie character. Um, really, really, really amazing. And uh, I know that there's. I can't. I'm trying to remember what she won. Like uh, I'm pretty sure she. Uh, Walked away with not a Tony, but best, uh, it was a Tony. It was best featured actress in a musical, 2020. Was it really excellent? Yeah. God, that's so amazing. I know she won a Grammy too for the theater album. That's what I was trying to think of. But uh, hmm. but watch if you've not seen it recently, go back and watch the uh, Subspace Rhapsody episode, the musical episode. I mean, everybody in that episode is great, I think. But man. Celia Rose Gooding, she, she just brings those theater chops to bear. She just kicks every kind of ass there is. I mean, she's just got pipes that go all day long. She is just remarkable. So I, I'm so excited to see her come back on uh, on Strange New Worlds, along with that whole cast on that show. I think everybody on that show does a remarkable job. It's a real, uh, it's an ensemble show, right? I mean, and uh, what, you know, uh, Mount's gracious. He doesn't try to hog the limelight, right? And become like, it's the captain's show. Not at all. He lets everybody shine, makes sure it feels like a family, like an ensemble, makes plenty of room for Kirk, uh, gives him his chance to grow. It's it's just great. So what a, what a wonderful show, and I'm super looking forward to more. And so have a well-deserved happy birthday, uh, Celia Rose Gooding. We salute you. Passing it over to Klingon-loving Uncle Jim. Well, we're going to continue the love for Strange New Worlds because the man himself, my man crush, yes, that's right, the man himself, Captain Christopher Pike, Anson Mount. We want to say happy birthday to Anson Mount, who plays Captain Pike in the second season of Star Trek Discovery. So a lot of people that passed on Discovery, what are you waiting for, man? Go back and watch season two. It's awesome. We get to see Spock. We get to see Captain Pike. We get to see Una. Check out season two of Star Trek Discovery. But wait, there's more. He also appeared in three episodes of Star Trek Short Treks, which I really miss and wish they would bring back because Short Treks gave us, you know, these these little 10, 12-minute snippets around on some of these characters, and I would love to see them do that some more. Uh, so he did that. And he happens to be, believe it or not, the fourth actor to portray Pike. So happy birthday to Anson Mount. And uh, I should mention that he also was in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. A lot of people don't realize that. He played Black Bolt. Yep, he did. He played Black Bolt. He died really quick, but he played Black Bolt. And he was also in Hell on Wheels with... um, Miles O'Brien himself, Cole Meany. So happy birthday to Anson Mount, the man, the myth, the legend. Next on my list, we want to say happy birthday to Stephanie Beecham, the British actor who played Regina Bartholomew in Star Trek The Next Generation 6 episode, Ship in a Bottle. Me personally, I know her as Dr. Kristen uh, Westphalen from the first season of DSV. Sequest, which I thought was a great show, and I really missed that show a lot. They twisted it and tortured it, but she was in the first season, which I think is the best season. So happy birthday to Stephanie Beecham. And now we move on to the Klingons, because I always save the Klingons for last, and I've got two. 
first we want to say happy birthday and kapla. James Worthy, the former professional basketball player, here is Cora. The TNG 7th Gambit Part 2, standing at 6 feet 9 inches tall. Worthy is the tallest ever Klingon seen on screen. So happy birthday to James Worthy. And finally, last but definitely not least on my list, um, I think that this guy is might be more well known for the Romulan that he played. But he did play a Klingon, so that's how I'm gonna remember him. We wanna say happy birthday to James Sloan, who played Admiral Jarek in the defective episode of TNG. What an episode, huh guys? So that good. was that took the cake right there. I just when 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 the Enterprise is there with the with the Romulan warbirds and then the Klingons decloak behind them, you so know, badass. just incredible way to end that episode. And uh, Jarek was just uh, was an awesome character. So, but he also played Mora Paul in the DS9 fifth season episode, um, the alternate and the begotten, and he appo- he appeared as May Boral in the D- the Voyager episode Jet Troll. G-Troll? G-Troll? I think it's G-Troll. But I'm going to remember him playing Alexander from the future um, in the episode Firstborn. He named himself Kimtar, but he was actually Alexander coming back in time to steer his younger self into being a Klingon warrior so that his father wouldn't die um, in the future. So he played Kimtar. So that, my friends, wraps up all of our Star Trek birthdays. A lot of fun doing the Star Trek birthdays. It's fun to go back and remember some of these characters and some of these episodes and have some fun with it. So that wraps up our birthdays. Now it's time for Star Trek news. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Incoming transmission. Enter authorization code. Command codes verified. Define parameters of program. Level 9 authorization required. Specify parameters. Transfer of data is complete. Black alert. Black alert. All right, Eric, you want to get us started with our Star Trek news this week? You bet. Uh, this is our Shatner section, but it's not really a Shatner Says What this week. At 92, William Shatner shines with VES Award for Creative Excellence amid a lifetime of stellar achievements. The room was charged with anticipation and respect as William Shatner, a name synonymous with pioneering spirit both on screen and off, stepped onto the stage at the Beverly Hilton. At 92, with the poise of a seasoned star Voyager, Shatner accepted the VES Award for Creative Excellence. His presence was a testament to a career that has not only traversed galaxies in the fictional realm of Star Trek, but has also left an indelible mark on the real world of entertainment and beyond. Shatner's contributions to the entertainment industry extend far beyond his iconic role as Captain Kirk, as the mission control director on Fox's Stars on Mars and the voice of Teldor in of the Universe Revolution, he continues to work and inspire. His upcoming comedy, Keeper of the Cup, alongside Jason Priestley and Dan Aykroyd, humorously explores the lengths to which Toronto Maple Leafs fans will go to claim the Stanley Cup. 
His forthcoming documentary, You Can Call Me Bill, aims to bridge generations, offering a glimpse into the man behind the legend with a poignant focus on connecting with his grandchildren posthumously. posthumously excuse me. The introspection into morality and legacy offers a rare, intimate look at Shatner's life beyond the camera and the starship helm. As the evening concluded, the significance of Shatner's award resonated beyond the confines of the Beverly Hilton. He was a celebration, it was a celebration of a man whose career has been defined by exploration, innovation, and a relentless pursuit of the unknown. In receiving the VES Award for Creative Excellence, William Shatner was not only being honored for his past contributions, but was being celebrated as an enduring inspiration for future generations of storytellers, creators, and dreamers. Uh, you know, congratulations, Shatner. I think that's a kind of a cool award. It's sort of honoring him for being, um, you know, an icon, not, you know, not necessarily for his like individual achievements, but for how he took that role and sort of elevated it and how he's kind of exhibited that in some of his other things throughout his career. So I don't know. Congratulations. I think that's pretty cool and kind of a neat award for him to win at this point. And it's nice to know that he's still, he's still working, you know, he's doing voiceovers. He's doing all kinds of cool stuff. I'm kind of interested in seeing, uh, you can call me Bill just because I want to know uh, what that's going to look like. <laughs> so. Well, Eric, I'm going to bring up a comment on that. <clears throat> um, that is coming to theaters, but they're doing an interesting way of doing it. They're actually asking people to go to the website and pay for their ticket early so we can get theaters to reserve see how much interest there is in the country and reserve theaters to actually show the movie. And then if your city doesn't get it, then they'll refund your, your ticket price. Oh, my. Well, you know, that's not strictly true because Bill has some overdue money problems. He's trying to get them to buy the theater early so he can pay them off. <laughs> <laughs> It's re- that's really as simple as he is. His, his bills have come due. He's not a very shrewd businessman. Oh, well. <laughs> well, but if, if people are interested in seeing it, get your tickets early so that you've got a better chance of your city getting it. And maybe more than one theater. Cool. Thanks, Charles. Uh, and there's, so... some adva- there's some special pins, too, for advanced purchases. So. Nope. Special perks. Yep. Cool, man. Uh, great. Well, I'm going to pass the news reel, uh, I guess, over to Jim, who's going to talk about. For David. What'd you say? What'd you say? He wants to take over for David. Oh, we can do this one. Uh, yeah. yeah who, do you want to. I, uh, I put it in for David because I figured you guys play this game, but uh, David's not here, so either Charles or uh, Paul can jump in on this one. Well, I guess I'll have to jump into it since I'm playing some of this already. New Dune, Star Trek, and Conan projects are announced by Gale Force 9. The, the first of these projects is The Adventure of Conan, which marks the first time Gale Force 9 has published a Conan tabletop game. Players take the role of either Conan or one of his allies or foes as they work towards different objectives. While Conan and his allies, allies can work together, the foes can hinder Conan by laying traps or throwing obstacles in Conan's path. 
Each type of character in the game comes with their own custom dice, which dictates which action a player can take during their turn. Guild Force 9 is also publishing a definitive edition of its popular Star Trek Ascendancy, Final Frontier, which includes every existing expansion for the game, plus new material that adds another new faction, new ships, and new planets for the game. Gameplay involves players vying for control of the galaxy, exploring new planets, playing star, uh, star bases, and pushing to add more planets under their respective banner. Finally, Project is Dune. Kuzak's Hatterack. The, I did. Yeah. The new version is the classic Dune board game. Originally published in 1970s, Gale Force 9 re-releases Dune board game for a new generation. The game won several awards and received several expansions, all of which will be included in the new edition. Also included is new content, adding additional factions to the game, including luxury components for playing. I personally am that am a fan of Ascendancy, <coughs> having the original game and several of the expansions. I've also been playing their Star Trek Away missions. <coughs> Got to be an OP, winning uh, Q in that one. And waiting for my pre, pre-order of the new TOS characters in the expansion. And I wish they'd expand by putting another ship down there. If we're getting TOS characters, how about the old Enterprise, not the new Enterprise? And I so, want to see Charles, what they do with some of their sets. How exactly does Q work into the game? Is, is he a playable Q character? Infl- Q can come onto the board as a playable character. I only got through two missions of four. Q also kind of messes with people because he has his own deck of tricks. And sometimes he'll sit there and say, oh, if you're near Q, then you'll get bonuses for attack, but then you're going to lose bonuses for So it's kind of there to mess with what you're doing and maybe giving you some advantages. I think later on he's got some cards in there that really will mess with your characters. Yeah, I think Q in Star Trek Away Missions is meant to be played as part of special scenarios, Jim. He's not a character that you'd necessarily like throw on your team if you were just going 1v1 with somebody and not playing one of those special scenarios. Okay, all right. So you still play the Klingons or the Romulans or yes. the Feds. Yeah, yeah. And I will exactly. say that, like, in terms of this article, I think this uh, idea of releasing Ascendancy with all of the expansions is kind of cool. I mean, I'm like Charles. I've been sort of collecting them along the way, and I think I've got all but maybe one or two of them. Um, so, but if you're going to jump into the game, this would be a great way to do it. And Star Trek Ascendancy is a fantastic game uh, that I love yes. playing. Uh, it's, it, you know, it takes a little while. It's probably an hour, an hour and a half per person, depending on um, oh. your, your yeah. level of, um, your level of, but the other thing is that the, this game from the seventies, the re-release of the Dune board game is kind of exciting to me because the 
the Dune board game that they put out in the 90s was terrible. <laughs> but the one from the 70s was pretty good, but it was impossible to find forever without paying hundreds and hundreds of dollars for it. So I love that the, there's going to be a new option for that, and probably it'll be rebalanced and updated and all that sort of stuff. So I think that's cool. Yeah, Ascendancy Final Frontier that is going to have all the expansions. I mean, that's a lot. It's going to be an expensive game because there's a ton of expansions for it right yeah. now. And there's there's at least... One, two... Yeah. There's like eight Five expansions or seven or... No, I don't know. A ton. There's so many. I mean, you've got to count two, the Borg three, and the Dominion and the Cardassians. And... Anyway. The there's a lot. Andorians and the Vulcans. And then there's yeah, and the Ferengi. The and, ones, yeah, there's the, a whole bunch. The Breen. Yeah. yeah. Wow, that'll be expensive. Anyway, yeah, it'll be very expensive, but you'll get it all in one shot, and it sounds like it comes with cool components too, so I'm all about it. Yeah, because what's the regular game run? About 100 bucks. The regular game's 100 bucks, and the expansions are uh, – between thirty and fifty bucks, depending on which one you get and how many components it has. So it's not, you know, it's kind of the going rate for complex board games these days. You can't really find a really cool board game for about, you know, less than about fifty bucks at least. And Ascendancy has so many pieces, and they're the quality is yeah. really good too. It's all like really cool cast plastic pieces, really good quality cardboard, really good quality cards. So it's worth the hundred bucks for sure. And and if you've got a group of Star Trek friends and you want a game where you're like, oh, I don't want to play a game that's going to last me an hour or two. If you want a few hours and coming down to seeing who can really strategize, it's worth it for that. It is one of the better strategy games out there. Oh, excellent. I'll have to keep an eye out for it. Star Trek Ascendancy, Final Frontier. And um, I've got the last story here of the night. Star Trek's secret weapon for making fans feel spotlighted. Showrunner Mike McMahon credits the show's musical store and composer Chris Westlake as the reason why audiences feel so strongly for Mariner, Boimler, and the rest of the USS Cerritos crew. I think a lot of the reason people feel on Lower Decks is because of Chris Westlake's music. Quote, we really bring it with the music department. He once told me, not to switch to Star Wars, but Chris is the only guy I knew who can do that John Williams does. And I think an episode of the Lower Decks has almost as much music as a season of Discovery in terms of how many cues. Like, is very crazy, but Chris once said that the reason people like the Force is because of John Williams. Because without John Williams' music, it's just a guy holding his hand up. But when the score comes in, you start to feel something. And that's Chris's job on Lower Decks. I'm in charge of making people laugh, and he's in charge of making people feel. And then Tawny and Jack and Eugene and Noah, they're all right in the middle of all that. So at any time you're feeling something on Lower Decks, really listen to the music. That's our secret weapon. Star Trek on Paramount Plus shows features a powerhouse lineup of composers. Jeff Russo has been scoring Star Trek Discovery since season one, and also provided the score for Star Trek Picard season one and two before Stefan Barton and Frederick Wiederman took over and added odes to the Star Trek music movies and Star Trek Picard season three. 
Bonnie Melman is Star Trek's first female composer, and her scintillating music enhances Star Trek's Strange New World, Star Trek Prodigy. While Jeff Russo and Michael Giacano respectively provide those shows' main title themes. And Chris Wasteleck brings heart and feeling to even the most absurd Star Trek Lower Deck scenarios. Music has always been Star Trek's secret weapon. Going back to the theme of Star Trek, the original series, composed by Alexander Courage. When Star Trek jumped to feature films, Jerry Goldsmith composed an epic score that later became the main title theme for Star Trek The Next Generation. James Horner's score for Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, remains a classic, and is crucial to the emotion of Spock's Leonard Nimoy's sacrifice and death. Star Trek Deep Space Nine, Star Trek Voyager, and Star Trek Enterprise were scored by Dennis McCarthy and Jerry Goldsmith, among others, and music is part of the fabric of those series' success. Musical scores hammer home the emotions of Star Trek's characters and connects them to viewers at home, whether in live-action Star Trek or animated series like Prodigy or Lower Decks, which Mike McSman understands to his and the audience's benefit. I, I couldn't agree more. I, you know, I think that music definitely... I, I said this when we were talking about um, The Mandalorian in Season 1. You guys recall way back then, uh, music, you got to stimulate what's between the ears. If you get your brain stimulated, you can hear a song and it will pull you right into what whatever emotion the composer wants you to feel. And I think Jerry Goldsmith in particular, especially with that awesome award-winning score for Star Trek V, The Final Frontier, probably one of the best. Right. Uh, uh, I can't disagree with the fact that he's an amazing composer, and yeah, the music work in Star Trek V is actually really good too. I will say that I think that one of the reasons that music is so important is that it it is it connects to a more emotional piece of the human kind of experience. I think so much in the same way you know smells might remind you of something uh, nostalgically from twenty, thirty, forty years ago. I think music kind of does the same sort of thing. And one thing that um, Star Trek composers have been able to do recently is they've been able to kind of um, use the formulas that allow them to access melodies or uh, or other kind of familiar aspects of previous soundtracks and then kind of drop those in as little hints here and there. I think about the Picard theme in particular, you know, bringing the flute into it or, or that type of thing. I think there's a, a, layer, a level of sophistication to com- composing scores these days that is above and beyond what was there before. And I think it's because of people like Jerry Goldsmith who raised the bar, right? And then somebody's like, oh my God, okay, I got to go. I got to at least meet that bar or people aren't going to pay any attention to me. And, you know, I I don't know if I could say people are his equal, but man, some of the new music, uh, including Rousseau's stuff and all that stuff, it's pretty high quality these days, and it absolutely pulls you, along with all of the sound editing and that kind of stuff, right into the story. Well, when you let me ask you, when you watch Star Trek The Motion Picture and you hear Jerry Goldsmith's V'ger theme and the cloud is lighting up, do you get the impression when you watch that that that's V'ger talking and not yeah, just I think music? Is that V'ger communicating? Yeah. When well, I watch it, 
I get the impression that the, what the sounds that we're hearing is V'ger communicating. That's what it comes across as to me. You know what I think, Jim, is that I think that three or four people could interpret that three or four different ways, and they'd all be right. I think probably the intention was to set a mood and to kind of like, you know, form the mist around the scene that's going to happen. I don't know if it's literally supposed to be V'ger talking, but it kind of reads that way, right? I mean, it's it's very mechanistic. Uh, it uses that, that great technology of the late 70s of those keyboard pads that have like a cool, like, delayed uh, reverb that sort of echoes out from that. I mean, it's, it's a very... Um, there's a point in time when music sounded like that, and the late 70s and early 80s had a lot of that stuff. So to me, it's, you know, maybe not literally V'ger talking, but it's clear that when that music happens, you're supposed to know that V'ger's on the screen or V'ger's coming or something. Yeah, I, I think the soundtrack, it, it reminds me of the soundtrack for 2001 A Space Odyssey. You know, it's, yeah. just, it's a classical well, score. Well, I mean, that one in particular uses classical music in a very interesting way, right? Like, that, like not all of the music that is in 2001 was composed for 2001. Uh, right. Uh, but it's so identified with the movie. Totally. You know, that it's incredible. And, and the Klingon theme, you know. Um, oh. Is, is Paul Paul having some technical difficulty here? Sounds like Paul's trying to interject, but his mic is not yeah. working. So we'll we'll make sure and open it up for him if he uh, if he turns it off and turns it back on again and gets it working though. Because I'd love to hear what yeah, he has I, to say. Uh, particularly like uh, the, the Klingon theme from Star Trek: The Motion Picture, where they have carried that theme through Star Trek from day one. You know, the it's Klingons amazing. have that. Well, there he yeah, is. Up there yep. he is. We got him. Sorry, guys. Got him. I, I, something happened with my mic there, but uh, I just wanted to chime in on the music thing because you made such a good point, Jim. It's like when when it's really working really well, it's like it's somehow channeling your, your unconscious or your subconscious, right? I mean, well, maybe in my case, my unconscious, but it's a... Uh, it's like it's it's providing a whole nother emotional subtext to a scene that uh, the dialogue and, and the images alone can never do. It just it helps bring your emotions and lets them engage with it. So it's just it's a it's such a powerful part of uh, of uh, of storytelling. I, I I agree. Music can make or I've said this when I went to see um, uh, Top Gun Maverick. And I, I know that it's, you know, 30 some odd years later and, and there's a whole new brand of, of musicians working on the movie. But when the movie started on the aircraft carrier with Kenny Loggins' Danger Zone, I was in the movie right away. I mean, right away, my brain went right, right back to the, and there I was. And music can pull you right into a situation right off the bat. And just like a bad score can pull you out of it too. It can go both ways, but when it's done right, it's incredible. It works so well. Well, and Jim, I will say that Star Trek's not only got great composers and stuff, but they've taken some risks with soundtracks, right? Like, uh, you know, using the Beastie Boys in the Kelvin timeline movies or, you know, yep. thing, things like that. I They've taken some risks and I, I, there's not a ton of people who are still Star Trek fans who say, nah, the music sucks. 
I think everybody pretty much universally is on board with what they're doing. Yeah, because I think in this article they cited John Williams, but I think a lot of people overlook Jerry Goldsmith. I mean, what has the man not done? Planet of the Apes, Logan's Run, uh, Alien, Star Trek. I knew how to do it, and he did it well. So I, I, I happen to agree with this article 100%. Music. And, like, when we were watching Picard Season 3, did you not hear every little little music cue that brought you to, you know, Wrath of Khan, Search for Spock? They were all in there. They were sprinkled throughout there, you know. And only take a couple notes. Your brain will hear it, and you will know. Like, I can name that, that tune in three notes. And all you got to do is hear those three notes, and you're right there. So, yeah, I hope they keep it up. Well, guys, that pretty much wraps up our show for this week. Can you believe it? We got through it without David. How about that? So next week, we're going to be talking about Sela, the Romulan commander Sela, played by Tasha Yar. What is she up to these days? (laughs) Played by Nadise Crosby, not played by Tasha Yar. (laughs) Well, you know, Tasha Yar was her mother. (laughs) You know, live the dream, so, Jim. Just go please. all in. <laughs> so we'll be talking about. We're here to celebrate talk- uh, Captain Kirk uh, in his new role. Well, and I think it's important to mention that we're going to well, talk about Sela, not just in the context of like the episodes that she's uh, been in and how she connects to Tashi R, but there is a most excellent annual. Um, <laughs> copy of the Defiant comic out right now where the story focuses on Sela. So we're actually going to explore some on-screen stuff and we're going to explore some comic stuff in the same show. One of our first kind of mixes, uh, Comic Corner plus regular show. That, that will be interesting. We haven't done a Comic Corner in a long time. We're like really, really behind on our, our comics. Yeah, but unfortunately, Nick, we'll never catch up on all the comics that we've missed in terms of reviewing them all. But this one is kind of—I think it's going to be unique because it's going to bring in Alpha and Beta Canon on a really cool character. Yeah, for sure. So you guys will definitely want to tune in next week, and we have a treat for you guys too because we're going to be talking. Oh, those nasty tribbles are getting into everything again. Um, we're going to have a very special show coming up. Not next following week. Um, the man who wrote the Trouble with Tribbles, and I think did he write the animated episode More Trouble, More Tribbles as well? I don't know. I believe he did. I believe he did. I have to do some research on that. Uh, what about the Deep Space Nine episode? That's Trials and Tribulations. Yeah. Oh, Trials and Tribulations. Oh yeah. Trials and Tribulations. We'll have to find out. Uh-huh. Yeah. I had to do some research and find out, but um, I had reached out to him uh, quite a while ago because uh, yeah, it was written by him. The animated series episode was written by David Gerald. Oh, okay. And I think if I remember my Star Trek history correctly, I think he's written a bunch of Star Trek books. Has he not? I think like, uh, the world of Star Trek. I, I think he's written a lot of Star Trek books, mm-hmm. quite a few. 
And uh, he's going to be on the show to share. And and if I remember correctly, now I'm reaching way, way back, but I think he may have been in Star Trek The Motion Picture as well. I remember seeing a picture of him um, standing with Gene Roddenberry in a Star Trek The Motion Picture jumpsuit. So he goes way back in the world of Star Trek. And we'll see just what kind of stories he wants to share with us. And you guys will be able to call and ask him questions as well. So that's going to be, what, the 14th? I don't have my calendar in front of me. But what's the date of that show? Uh, that's um, next week, so that's actually the 7th. Okay. So, um, yeah, you guys Excuse definitely me, don't want to miss Sorry, I've, I forgot that we're in uh, – oh, no, it is the 7th, yeah. Yeah, seven. Well, is, yeah. if next, next week. week is if next week is Sela, is it the week after that? Oh, sorry, week after is the fourteenth. You're right, Paul. Yeah, sorry. Next week is Sela. The fourteenth is David. Yeah. So it's not there. It's not the same episode, right? We're doing nope. those are two different episodes. Yep. Sorry. All right. So the, yeah, so the seventh is Sela and the fourteenth. Yeah, it'll be the fourteenth. Yep. So uh, you guys definitely want to check that out. It's going to be. I, who knows what he's going to talk about? He's been around Star Trek since Star Trek was Star Trek. So I'm sure he's got a lot of great stories to share with us. All right, guys. Well, that finishes up the show. So I want to say thank you to Paul for hanging out and Trek talking with us tonight. Thank you so much, Paul. A pleasure, man. We always have fun on this thing. It's great. You never know where it's going to go, do you? It just meanders and meanders and meanders. And, of course, we want to say thank you to Eric as well for hanging out and Trek talking with us. Thank you, Eric. Absolutely. Thanks so much, guys. And thank you so much to Charles for hanging out and truck talking with us as well. Thank you, Charles. Okay, and we hope that David is having a very happy anniversary tonight. So happy anniversary to David. Have lots and lots of donuts. And I'm your most excellent host, Uncle Jim, saying hailing frequencies are closed. And everybody, please be good and stay safe. Star Trek fans are the best fans. Good night, everybody. Good night, all. Take care. Let's see what's out there. Engage. Hello. You have reached the Q Continuum. We are unable to get to the phone right now because we are busy living in a plane of existence your feeble mortal minds cannot possibly comprehend. Furthermore, it's pointless to leave a message because we, of course, already knew that you would call, and we simply do not care. Have a nice day. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.